0: The Lattice Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 199 of the Lax Factor podcast. I'm your host Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of games. We got Syracuse and Duke, Virginia, Notre Dame, Army, Loyola. We've got the Ivy League action, and it's like all topsy turvy in the world of lacrosse right now. Nobody knows how good anybody is, and everybody's upsetting everybody else. And it's upsetting me because it makes me look stupid when I make picks and I'm this wrong. As I would have, I didn't make my picks officially, but just taking a mental note and going. Going through the scoreboard, I realized I would have picked all of these games wrong this weekend, especially within the Ivy. So, before I get into it, as always, uh, be sure to like and subscribe. Go to laxfactor.com, you can support us that way. We have t shirts, we have shorts, we have all sorts of crap, but I want to get right into this and not waste any more time. The game. That was closest to my heart, Syracuse, hosting Duke in the friendly confines of the Carrier Dome. I chose not to go up to the game and instead watched the game at a bar with a bunch of friends. And we were rowdy, high-fiving, having a great old time. So as we get into kind of the flow of this game here... Cuse jumps out to a quick two-zip lead. Sean Lully answers right back, and we've got a ball game on our hands. But Mikey Berkman starts a five-goal Syracuse run, 8-17 in the first. He scores a nice quick-stick goal to start this run. And then we see both the Syracuse attack, or all three of the Syracuse attack, and Brendan Curry get involved early in the offense. They look good. Dordovic scores next, unassisted. Brendan Curry Shortly uh, follows uh, up follows that goal up very quickly, less like a minute later or something like that. Another unassisted goal. Owen Sebold then scores a- another unassisted goal. Cuse is now up six one before Berkman scores another nice feed from behind up to Berkman, uh, uh, assisted by Owen Sebold. With seven twenty one left in the second quarter, Berkman both starts the run and ends this five-goal run for Syracuse, giving the Orange a 7-1 lead semi-early into this game. This was the, the complete opposite of what Syracuse had done up to this point. Absolutely incredible. When, I remember distinctly when Brennan O'Neill scored that goal with 542 left in the second to make it 7-2. Seven seven we were all dejected, like, ah, here, here it goes. The, the wheels are about to fall off. Not so. I mean, granted, Duke did score four of the next five goals after Syracuse took that 7-1 lead, and they get things back to 8-5, to but then Dordovic answered, and it goes back and forth here for a little bit. Now, key points here. As we're looking at this score uh, scoreboard here, Cuse was up 10-6. to Brennan O'Neill caps a three-goal Duke run, making it 10-9 with 57 seconds left in the third. That was a kind of a backbreaker, we thought, as we're all watching it. I'm kind of thinking, okay, this is where Duke's going to tie this game up from here, and then it's going to be a dogfight to the end. Dordovic answers back almost immediately early in the fourth quarter. And then once again, Joe Robertson, Robertson captain comeback here for Duke Robertson sticks one assisted by Aiden Denenza. Once again, a nice, uh, uh, a nice dodge down the right side for Denenza, And then he hits Robertson on the crease. Robertson sticks it once again, 11, 10. And this is where things got super dope in a, in a situation where it looked like Duke was going to, they, uh, Syracuse took a shot, Ball goes back up the other way. It looks like Duke has a fast break. They give the ball to O'Neal down the left side. He's immediately trying to take advantage of the kind of helter-skelter shape of the defense as everyone's not settled yet, and he immediately tries to go to the middle of the field. Looks like he has the step and might get a shot off. A slide comes from back. I forget who it was offhand here. I think it might have been Clary. Comes from behind. Hits, uh, forces a turnover, hits hits uh, O'Neill kind of from the shoulder or whatnot, forces a turnover. Ball goes back the other way. Uh, uh, Clary feeds Dordovic on the crease as Dordovic kind of cuts under his man on the break. And Dordovic sticks it between the legs, and we all absolutely go bonkers, freaking out, probably taught some young kids at the bar. Uh, it's kind of a, a bar-restaurant type deal. And there were some kids sitting behind us. We probably taught them all sorts of colorful language in that moment. But that was the end of it there, 12-10 QS. Then Curry answers after that, and ends up getting a ends up getting the upset here over number 10 Duke. It was an incredible game overall. Cannot say enough about the day that Tucker Dordovic had as we come in here. Five goals and two helpers. As we look at Dordovic so far this season and we go through his stats, this kid has stepped up big time. Syracuse has struggled. Dordovic has not struggled. Dordovic, six points against Holy Cross, five and one. And you're like, ah, oh, well, that's Holy Cross. Well, he follows that up with five and one against Maryland, one of the best defenses in the country. Has a very quiet game in the loss to Virginia possession disparity problem didn't get a lot of looks so, you know not a great game against army either one and two but as we look at this last stretch here the the stretch where Syracuse is now 3 and 4 over uh with win over hobart lost to hopkins tony brook and duke though win over Hobart, 5-2, and two, lost to Hopkins, 3-0, and o, win over a good Stony Brook team, 6-3, and three, win over Duke, 5-2. and two. Tucker Dordovic has been absolutely incredible, definitely putting up at this moment Tawarton finalist level numbers so long as Syracuse can continue to win some games, maybe upset some more ACC opponents and get themselves into the playoffs. If they get themselves into the playoffs and Dordovic keeps playing like this, he has a legitimate shot at being a Tawarton finalist and maybe even win the twart and depending on what kind of run Cuse can make in the playoffs should they make them now one of the things I did want to talk about here though within the realms of this game was I was talking to a buddy of mine Sean Duffy and uh, we were I just said that he was thinking Duke was going to roll I was a little bit afraid that Duke had the capability of rolling in this one so I told him what it was going to come down to was the faceoff dot could FOP win the bulk of the face-offs against Duke? And I, I put that number, at, if FOP wins 60% of the face-offs, all other things considered pretty equal, then I think Duke held at that point maybe a three-goal advantage. If FOP lost the face-off battle and Cuse lost the goalie battle, it was going to be an eight-goal win for Duke. FOP wins 57% of his face-offs, as we kind of look here, 16-28 to 28 on the day. That was key number one. He won just about 60% of the possessions, so I told Duffy, that's going to drop that eight-goal win for Duke down to maybe about a three-goal win for Duke if Syracuse couldn't win the goalie battle, but then we come down here at the bottom, we look at the goalkeeping stats here for Syracuse and for Duke, and Bobby Gavin had a very good game. He's been the more consistent ball stopper, and I think the only reason him and Thompson have kind of shared time is because at times they both of them have had troubles clearing the ball that was not a problem here at least it didn't seem to be a problem in the flow of the game today and Gavin played a very solid game making 10 saves against 10 goals again so he gets to that 50 percent number Adler struggles a little bit partly because the Duke defense gives up gave up way too many really good shots against Syracuse way too many guys with their hands free and that ends up being the ball game the, the Syracuse wins the face-off battle and the goalie battle, and they end up beating a very good Duke team. Now, one of the things I was most impressed with, though, was what Syracuse did defensively overall as we kind of look at the defensive totals here in terms of forcing turnovers against Duke Dodgers. We've got Nick uh, – I don't even know how to pronounce his name here. I I didn't pay close attention during the game, but uh, Nick uh, Kakamo, Kasamo, Three-cause turnovers. Kennedy with two-cause turnovers. Grant Murphy with two-cause turnovers. But then you look at the attack here: Dordovic and Siebold each forced a turnover in the ride game. Landon Cleary forces that turnover and then gets an assist in this game. Sam Alexo. Like I always say, if a face-off guy can, even if he loses the bulk of the draws by a handful or by a few, but he puts up a, a point or two, that kind of evens the score here. And this is the kind of crap that Syracuse needs. They played a great defensive game overall, but then they're getting point production out of polls. Landon Clary with the assist to Dordovic late in the game. Sam Alexo scoring the goal early in the game. Getting these poles up the field and into transition is huge, but you just kind of see the effort here. Not not a ton of forced turnovers, but 12 forced turnovers to go along with all the other two turnovers that Duke had. So that was pretty incredible. And then as we look at the actual team statistics here overall, you see Syracuse under 15 turnovers. That's their number for the rest of the year. Stay under 15 turnovers and you should be in the game. Duke 17 turnovers. So the bulk of the turnovers that Duke committed were forced by Syracuse. That was a big deal. Look at the clears. Syracuse cleared the ball. One of their best clearing games of the season, 17 of 20. And Duke only goes 16 of 23 in the clearing game. That factored heavily. Ground ball battle. Cuse beat Duke in the ground ball battle. Cuse beat Duke in the faceoff battle, 16 to 12. Cuse extra man was 2 of 4. Like It was the first complete game that we've seen out of Syracuse all year. They outshot Duke. In terms of just volume of shots, 61 to 33, which is insane. Shots on goal, not so great. They only outshot Duke twenty-four to twenty, despite that huge, almost doubling them up in terms of the total shots. So, but that volume of shots and and just that offense flowing, getting looks, even if all of them weren't great and all of them weren't put on cage, pretty incredible overall. On the Duke side here, Brennan O'Neill goes three and zero. Andrew McAdory, who's looked incredible for Duke, the freshman uh, O'Neill's fa- uh, former teammate, he's two and zero. But you just look at it; they just didn't get it done offensively, and Syracuse did. Get it done offensively. With Dordovic, five and two, Seabold, two and two, Curry two and one, Berkman two and zero. Oh. I love this Tyler Cortis kid, young midfielder zero oh and two. I also love Matteo Corsi two and zero. Oh. So you see that Sy- Syracuse actually got some production from the midfield where needed, but those attackmen, Dordovic, um, Seabold, and Berkman all showed up, and then Curry had himself a decent game, even if he didn't shoot the ball great on the day. So absolutely incredible. Complete team win, top to bottom. I couldn't have been happier with the way they played, and uh, I'm sure they're all waking up this morning pleased that I was happy with their play. But what what a win. What a win. And now for Syracuse next, you see we go to... What do we got next? has. Notre Dame at Notre Dame next weekend, and then they have Albany. A short, short uh, turnaround. And they play Albany Thursday at Albany. So two game road stint between Notre Dame and Albany coming up for Syracuse. If they could pull off wins over a struggling Notre Dame team on the road and a Albany team that they should be able to handle, and if they could end up being you know six and four going into that Cornell game, which is going to be an absolute dogfight. Uh, then they're looking a lot better, you know, in terms of their playoff hopes. I I like their chances against Notre Dame, the way Notre Dame's been playing, but watch out for a an injured kind of rabid dog Notre Dame team next weekend. That's going to be a, a tough game for Cuse, and they've struggled against Notre Dame in the past. Albany, they should get that win. Cornell should be a dogfight. I, I like their chances against Carolina, especially, uh, you know, uh, uh, Carolina— has not played well defensively. Syracuse tends to play okay against teams that don't play well defensively in terms of being able to score, bo- score goals. And if this defensive stand that we saw against Duke keeps up, then their schedule is brutal as it is. Notre Dame twice. Cornell. I mean, every team except for Albany is ranked through the rest of their schedule. It's brutal. But if they play the way they did against Duke, Syracuse could be okay. All right. I've talked about that one enough. Let's talk about Virginia over Notre Dame now, twelve to eight. Not as close overall as the score would dictate. As we can kind of see here, Peyton Cormier, he got the scoring started for Virginia early in the game, scores a goal. Kind of a weird deflected goal, but a goal nonetheless. One and one-nothing Virginia. Eric Dobson answered. I believe that was a man-up goal. Maybe it wasn't a man-up goal, but either way, big midfielder Eric Dobson answered back, tying things up at ones, assisted by Pat Kavanaugh, and then from there Virginia takes control, and they go on a, what is it, a five-goal run. Xander Dixon starts that run out, gives Virginia a two-to-one lead. Xander Dixon has turned into one of the best off-ball lacrosse players in the country. The dude is just sneaky, sneaks around the crease, finds freedom somehow on on the high crease. Uh, In this one, I think he cut high crease down to low crease and sticks it. Just incredible. Connor Schellenberger makes it three-to-one on a take for himself, and it just continued from there. And then Griffin shuts the freshman midfielder, actually finished the run off to give Virginia a 6-1 lead. And from there, it was pretty much over. As we kind of scanned the scoreboard, they, you know, Notre Dame got within three a couple of times, and then that was pretty much it. Then they got within four at the end of the game. They went up, went on a three-goal three, three goal run. It was 12-6 late in the fourth. They go on a three-goal run with under a minute left. They score three goals between a minute 08 in the fourth and 34 seconds left in the game to make it look closer than it was. But, alas, it wasn't really all that close. Now, if we get into the statistics, which I am not familiar with. Okay, here we go. As we get into the individual stats overall, if we look at what Notre Dame did, Pat Cavanaugh two and one, Eric Dobson two and zero. The Virginia defense came to play in this one and kept everybody pretty much quiet across the board for Notre Dame. And then, as we look at what Virginia scorers did, Connor, Connor Schellenberger another solid game, three and two off just five shots with uh, two turnovers, not too bad. Jeff Connor one and one, and it was really just kind of, you know trying to get points out of guys deep into the roster. No one no one had an incredible game but everybody contributed a little bit here. Connor one and one, more Owen two off just four shots, but that's not bad. Matt Moore when when he goes ofer, that could really hurt them because sometimes he's going ofer or only putting up a goal off nine or 10 shots. So, I'll take that game out of Matt Moore. Xander Dixon, like I said, I've been a huge fan of this year. I love seeing him find his place within this Virginia offense. 2 and 0, Cormier 2 and 0. It's just all of the big cats for Virginia factored a little bit. And that ends up being key. And then in terms of cause turnovers, we look at Cole Kastner forcing two turnovers. Petey fucking LaSala forces a turnover. So that, too, was pretty awesome. How did LaSala fare at the faceoff die? I hate Virginia's stats are just terrible here. So I shouldn't have loaded theirs up. What we're going to do here, we're going to actually load the... Where the hell is the Virginia game? We're going to load the box score here from Inside Lacrosse. They do this stupid ad thing. Is there anything dumber than the way that Inside Lacrosse rolls those ads while you're trying to look at an article? So if we look at the face-off dot here, P.D. LaSala, 8-19, didn't handle their business. I was surprised, actually, that that Notre Dame did as well as they did here. Will Lynch, Notre Dame had one of the best face-off duos last year in the country by far. These guys here have struggled thus far this season between Lynch and Hagstrom, but Lynch wins 15-20 on the day with three ground balls. So that was a pretty big deal for them there. And then in terms of the goalie battle, Noons ends up having an excellent game. 12 saves against just five goals against in this one. And actually, how is there only five goals against, but they don't have any other goalie here? In here, so I don't know if Virginia put a backup goalie in and they just don't have the stats here. We'll have to see. Liam Entamon, though, has been struggling as of late. One of the best goalies in the country last year with one of the best defenses in the country in front of him. This Notre Dame defense has struggled a little bit, and that has kind of trickled down into Entamon's save totals as well. But in the end, Virginia gets to win 12-8. They improved to seven and one, and Notre Dame drops to two and four. Notre Dame has Syracuse up next who does Virginia have? Richmond. They're at Richmond before they then take on North Carolina and get back into ACC play. All right. Here is another incredible game on the weekend. And this game, Army against Loyola, ended up being the Brendan Nickturn show, at least over the course of the fourth quarter. Loyola did an incredible job of keeping Turn bottled up early in this game as we kind of go through here. And if I do a search here for Nick Turn's name, you're going to see he factored early, had a goal early in the first and then an assist early in the second. And then he's quiet through the, you know, the rest of the second quarter into the fourth. But then it's the fourth quarter with Loyola. Uh, Loyola kind of led the bulk of this game here, but Jacob Morin ties it up for Army early in the fourth. And we're at eights, tied up at eights, and then Brendan Nickturn just takes over this ballgame from here. He scores a goal with 11.57 in the fourth to give Army a nine-eight lead, just a wraparound from X, scores an almost exact replica of that goal almost just about two minutes later, and makes it 10-8 Army. And then Army scores a goal. Paul Johnson. Loyola gets one back. Bailey Savio off a face-off. And then it's once again Nick Turn assisting this time. Reese Burick. Nick Turn then had two more assists in the game. So Nick turn goes two and three over the course of the fourth quarter to give Army the lead. They keep the lead. They win this game 14-12. Huge, huge win for Army within the um, Patriot League, and then if we look at the individual stats here overall, Brendan Nick turned three and four for seven points on the day. Bobby Abshire three and zero, Reese Burke three and zero, excellent game here. And then the offense for Loyola was led by Seth Higgins three and one, Joey Kamish one and two, Kevin Lindley three and zero, Olmsted quiet again off eleven shots. That's that's a big kick in the pants there for Loyola. That Olmstead only put up a goal off eleven shots. He's their big cat. Needs to play a little bit better. And then in terms of the goalie battle, Schupler, 13 saves against 12 goals against. He wins the goalie battle, and Army ends up winning the day. And the face-offs was another good story here. I'm I'm enjoying seeing Bailey Savio, Savio win draws here again he had struggled last season having a good season for himself so far this season he wins 18 of 29 but army did just enough defensively to be able to scrap and claw and kind of even that possession battle up through forcing turnovers through just playing tough picking up ground balls so it ended up being a decent game they didn't force a whole lot of turnovers actually so I'm wondering how many of those turnovers were unforced out of Loyola let's see here yeah army turned the ball over more than Loyola even did The big kick in the pants for Loyola was the clears. Loyola only cleared the ball thirteen of seventeen, and uh, you know that's that's the story here. The story here is straight up Brendan Nickturn just trashing on Loyola over the course of the fourth quarter. That that is our story. Brendan Nickturn should the way he's been playing all year. If we look at his statistics so far, he definitely I believe is going to be one of the Twarton finalists. The dude has just had an absolutely insane season so far. Against good teams, nonetheless, UMass solid opponent. Nick turns five and three against Rutgers in a loss, a close loss. So he goes two and three. Sienna puts ten point ten points on them. That's going to happen. New Jersey Tech seven points. That's going to happen. But you look at the good teams and what he's done against them. UMass five and three. Rutgers two and three. Syracuse, four and two. Uh, Let's see here. Lehigh, one and four. Loyola, three and four. I mean, Nick Turn is one of the best attackmen in the country. In my opinion, he's probably one of the best five attackmen in the country, hands down. And you could make the argument that in terms of just being a well-rounded player, that he's one of the best three attackmen in the country. I legitimately believe that. Sitting with 23 goals, 35 helpers, and 58 points after, what is this, nine games Hell of a job for Nick Turn, and he's he's kind of the 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 momentum that keeps the Army wagon rolling. I don't know is he is he the is he the hill the downslope or whatnot? We'll we'll see. But Nick turns a hell of a player. So Army they get the big win over Loyola, and that is that. Now the Ivy Leagues have confused me. I would have picked Princeton to win this game. I think most sane people would have. Princeton has been playing incredible. Yale not too shabby themselves, and Coming into this game, Princeton number three, Yale number 11. Obviously, it was going to be a good game, but I liked Princeton at home in this one. And it's kind of started that way. We see Princeton jump out to a two-zip lead. Yale answers right back. Princeton scores two more, take a 4-2 lead, and then they give up that five-goal run over the course of the second quarter. And that's pretty much all. It's not all she wrote because Princeton was able to take, I believe, another lead at this point and, and tie the game up a couple more times but that stretch right there was brutal that stretch from 417 in the second through almost to the end of the second quarter where Yale just goes on that five goal run Yale ends up taking that 5-6-4 lead and then it goes back and forth through the remainder of this game up to the point that Alex or Alexander Verdaro Ties things up for Princeton with 11.06 left in the fourth quarter. It looks like Princeton may have a little momentum. They'd scored four of the last six goals at that point to tie things up. But then shortly after that, Matt Brandau, uh, I think there's a shot on the crease, deflection into Brandau's stick. He sticks it to give Yale that 12-11 lead. They get a little bit of a, what would you call it, a cushion goal, 13-11 to off of Johnny Keeb. Goals with 6:42 left in the fourth, and then boom, it's over. They win. I guess Schlu- 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 Schluch, man, I can't talk today. Alex Slusher. he did get them get Princeton back to within a goal with 6:03 left, but then uh, cool, for Yale scores the backbreaker 14-12, and Yale wins this ball game overall. If we look at the individual stats for Yale. Matt Brandau was incredible. Five goals and three helpers. Like I said, he's usually, in most of the games that they're going to play in the Ivy, he's going to be, if not the best player, right up there. Uh, one of the best players in the Ivy, hands down. And then Yale just gets a lot of help from, uh, from, their, from the depth in their roster. Chris Lyons, a midfielder, goes 3-0. and Leo Johnson, 2-0 and overall. As we look at the face-off battle, you can see Yale got absolutely roached, the faceoff. Dot Tyler Sandoval has a bounce back game. He wins 18 of 28 uh, draws on the day for Princeton, but it's just not enough overall as Yale is able to edge them a little bit. Let's look at the uh, Princeton scores, though. Princeton Verdaro, great game for him, four and two. Um, uh, Maxi two and one. Slusher two and zero. Oh. Chris Brown two and zero. Oh. They needed a little bit more production out of the out of uh, Slusher and Brown. I think in this one that would have helped them a great deal. And then if we look at the team stats, does anything stick out here? Nah, saves, saves definitely sticks out. So let's look at our goalie battle and see what happened. Our goalie battle, Eric Peters didn't have a normal Eric Peters game. Eric Peters has been just, not winning games for Princeton, but his play has assisted Princeton in winning a bunch of games. Without his play and a bunch of their wins, they wouldn't have won those games. He ends up losing the goalie battle on the day to uh, Paquette for, for Yale. 19 saves for Paquette. So he stood on his head. That That's pretty much the ballgame for Yale right there. That neutralizes the faceoff disparity and the possession disparity that Princeton had because he's standing on his head making huge saves, more saves than the opposing team's goalie. They end up winning this game. And then in terms of cause turnovers, I wanted to check that out to see how Yale's defense held up. Got a lot of cause turnovers here out of the top of their defensive roster. Tevlin, midfielder, gets two cause turnovers. Chris Fake, two, tur- uh, uh, two turnovers forced turnovers. Bryce DeMuth, two forced turnovers. Jake Cohen, two forced turnovers. So, you know, they're, they're, they were disruptive on the defensive end of the, uh, end of the field. That causes Princeton's fairly high-powered offense to have some problems finishing, and their goalkeeper did the rest. So that's the story. In that game, now the Cornell and the Penn game, the Penn coaches in the post game talked about getting back to the basics, working a lot more on being tough in the trenches, winning the ground ball battle between the boxes. And that was key in this win as we see Penn wins this one 15-11 over Cornell. Another one where I would have picked Cornell at home, the higher ranked team beating the lower ranked team at home. That did not play out. And a big part of that reason was, uh, where is it? Ground balls. Penn wins the ground ball battle 46-24 to despite losing the faceoff and then winning the faceoff battle 21-9. to So Penn wins the bulk of the faceoffs. They win the ground ball battle between the boxes. Both teams played fairly well. Extra man, 2-3 for Cornell, 3-5 for Penn. Penn ends up winning the game, though. As we look at what happened... Penn jumped out to a huge lead, 6-1 lead early. Cornell is able to kind of chip back and get close. They get within three late, 11-8 off a CJ cursed goal, but then Penn goes on a three-goal run to make it 14-8, and it was never really close from there. So Penn really dominated the game from start to finish. They won face-offs, they won ground balls, and more importantly, they scored more goals than the opposing team here. If we get into the statistics for Cornell... Michael Long had a good game, two of three. Got stuffed on a couple of one on ones. CJ Kirst, three and two. Uh, John Piatelli four and zero. So at the top of the Cornell roster, they did well. It's just you look at the bottom of the roster here. They did not score with any any level of depth in terms of team scoring. And then if you, as you look at Penn, Sam Handley has had himself a season thus far. He has factored heavily in the last few games for Penn. Had a I think he had a nine nine point output or eleven point out, output recently as well. So he ends up being a key here. He stuck a disgusting Man-up goal at one point actually kind of dodged back to the middle of the field in a man-up play and stuck a nasty goal. Gergar 1-4, and Cam Rubin 3-0. and So you see they get a little bit more depth in terms of scoring from their roster, and Penn ends up winning this game. But it was tough. Penn played really tough blue-collar lacrosse in this. It's something that I've always found odd was that some of the the best blue-collar lacrosse in terms of quality that you'll see comes out of the Ivies. Nonetheless, these dudes just play tough. They play smart. And it makes sense, I guess, in the end. But hell of a game here for Penn. Big win for them. And now the Ivy League. Who the hell knows who's going to win the Ivy League here? We got what? Harvard was picked to finish last. And I think they're 2-0 and in the Ivy at this point. But I think Harvard's going to have a harder time with some of the, the top teams in the Ivy. They just beat who? Uh, Dartmouth? I didn't even know Dartmouth was an Ivy League team. Uh, but apparently they are. So... Detroit Mercy, high point. I'm only covering this game here simply to show you that, A, high point whooped up on Detroit Mercy, but I kind of wanted to check in on Asher Nolting's day, and I saw earlier Asher Nolting goes 5-6 and six against a very, very under, under... I don't even know what I want to say, except that Asher Nolting was better than the entire... The entire team, Detroit Mercy team here. He goes five and six on the day. Braden Maya four and one. So High Point picks up an easy win against Detroit Mercy. Georgetown Lehigh. This was a a serious faceoff battle here. As we look at the faceoff stats in this one, these are two of the two of the hottest faceoff guys in the country right now. Lehigh Sisselberger he wins the battle sixteen to thirteen overall. Against Georgetown's Riley. But if we actually go into the statistics and see here, James Riley goes 13 of 29. They'll take that, Georgetown will, against Sisselberger, who wins 16 of 29. But it doesn't matter because Georgetown's defense is better than Lehigh's and Georgetown's offense proved better than Lehigh's as well. As we look at uh, the scoring for Georgetown, T.J. Haley, 2-4, Dylan Watson, 5-0, DeClan McDermott, 2-1, Alex Trippy the Carolina transfer, 2-1. So they're getting it done up and down the roster here for Georgetown. The flow of the game overall, Georgetown jumped out to a 10 10- 5 halftime lead. Lehigh got things back close again by going on a 4 goal run to start the 3rd quarter out. They score the 1st, well actually they they scored all of the goals in the 3rd quarter. Lehigh outscores Georgetown 4 zip over the course of the 3rd quarter to get things back to within 10-9. Georgetown answers early in the 4th. Dylan Watson and Alex Trippy both net goals to give Georgetown a 12-9 lead. Lehigh does manage on a Cole Kirst goal to get back to within a goal. Twelve eleven, early in the fourth, and then Georgetown closes out the scoring, scores the game's final two goals uh, between three seventeen and one thirty four left in the fourth quarter to pull away and win fourteen to eleven. Hell of a game overall, though, and number five Georgetown uh, gets the gets the W over nineteen number nineteen Lehigh. Another one. This one surprised me here. Stony Brook started the season out really tough. And now they've dropped two in a row, at least, I know it's at least two in a row between losing to Syracuse and now they lose to Albany. I actually would have thought Stony Brook would have bounced back in a big way if I had picked this publicly. I would have picked Stony Brook to probably win by five or six goals in this one. Not the case. Albany comes out. They take a 6-1 to lead at the half and pretty much rolled from there. They did let Stony Brook outscore them. Stony Brook actually outscored Albany uh, 9-6 to over the course of the second half, but that 6-1 lead that they got in the first half, that the Danes got in the first half, was enough. Now, the story of this game was the Great Danes actually won the bulk of the faceoffs. They win 18 of 25 draws here on the day in this game, so a huge possession disparity for Albany. And then Graydon Hogg goes 5-1, five, five and one. Cam, uh, Cam Hay. Goes three and one. They get some scoring out of their big cats there, and that's the ball game. What did they do in the Stony Brook side? Uh, Dylan Palinetti only three and one. So, yeah, hell of a game here overall. If we look at the team stats, it was just a tough Albany team. Albany didn't get quite as many shots, but they put only one less shot on cage against Stony Brook. Albany won the goalie battle 12 saves versus nine saves. Turnover battle. Albany turned the ball over quite a bit, but that didn't matter because of the faceoff disparity. As we look at the stats, the stats were pretty close, except for that face-off disparity there, and then Albany won the extra man battle. Albany goes four of six on the extra man to uh, Stony Brook's two of six, and that wasn't good enough. Stony Brook ends up losing this game. If we look at the goalie battle, though, which I did want to see here. Uh, Albany ended up playing yeah, Tommy Heller ends up with 12 saves against 10 goals against compared to Anthony Palma's nine saves against 12 goals against. Not good enough, and Albany wins the game. Hell of a game, though, there for Tommy Heller. Next one I want to talk about here, and this is getting weird here because from what I read, I I, I watched a little bit of this game while at the bar and then didn't end up watching the rest of it by the time I got home. I did check in on the score, but that was about it. But what I heard based on what I read was that they had Zawada run in midfield for Michigan at one point. Hopkins had put both uh, DeSimone and, and – um, let's look at the stats here real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Hopkins had put DeSimone and – did he even play? Epstein. What I read was DeSimone and Epstein both got moved uh, – bumped from attack. And I, like I said, I didn't watch it, but I, I don't even, and I don't even know who they ended up putting on attack and Anagelis ends up with three goals, four helpers. I think Degnan maybe played attack in this game. He goes three and three. D Simone scored, went two and one from the midfield. But yeah, Epstein saw himself to the bench in this one. I don't even see him in the box score. Oh yeah. Joey Epstein's down here. Doesn't look like he did much of anything in this game. And ends up getting being a 15-12 win for Hopkins, but I just find it weird the way they've been tinkering with this roster. It's like, hey, Epstein and, and DeSimone, I've been saying all season, both they haven't played consistent lacrosse on the attack at all, all season, but they also have been the reason at times that they've won a couple of the games that they've won in terms of when they do play well, Hopkins tends to do well as, also. But I have been—I was surprised to see Epstein not factor. And then when I read up on this game, to learn that they had both gotten bumped down to attack. If we look at what they've done in terms of their consistency between Epstein and and um, D Simone, I, I forgot who I was about to talk about here. If we go game by game here, we see DeSimone Simone not that consistent here. He starts the season tough, three and one in the win over Jacksonville, one and two in the win over Townsend, one and three. So he started the season out pretty tough. 0 and 1 in the loss to Loyola, you know, but then you see lately against Virginia, 1 point, against Syracuse, no points, against Navy, 1 and 1, Delaware, 0 and 2. Just not the production you want out of the guy that was your leading scorer the season before, and Epstein has been it's been kind of similar here. If we look at his point totals, Nothing against Jacksonville. Then he goes six and one, has the breakout game against Towson. 0 oh, and two in the loss to Georgetown. Three and five. No, two and three in the win over Loyola. Four goals in the loss to Carolina. And then this one is why I don't understand it. The win over Syracuse, he's two and three. The loss to Navy, he's two and two. The win over, De- or loss to Delaware, one and three. I don't understand Benjamin Epstein. His numbers have been a little bit more consistent than um, DeSimone's Simone's have. But in the end, they they do end up beating uh, Michigan here. The, the the guys that they put down an attack in this game ended up putting up a bunch of points, as we see. They got some depth in their scoring in terms of the face-off battle. They lost that face-off battle to Michigan. Justin Whitefelt, he goes 17-23 on the day, and it didn't matter. Hopkins was a little bit more efficient offensively. And then you look at the oddness here. Michael Boehm, 2-2, uh, two and two, Josh Zawada, 3-1. and one. They just didn't get enough enough scoring, enough production out of their big cats. But if I didn't watch it. I'm going to have to watch this game back a little bit today to see why would they have moved Zawada and company down up to midfield? Maybe they just felt like they had better matchups there. Maybe I read it wrong. Maybe the writer uh, for Inside the Cross got it wrong. But this one I did not see, and I didn't pay close enough attention to understand how that played out. But it sounded like both Michigan and Hopkins were tinkering with their rosters a great deal. All right, I don't even have my scoreboard up here. Let's go to the scoreboard, and let's see what else we want to talk about to end this out here. we got some big games coming up today. I love that we get the ACC games Thursday and Friday nights often throughout the season, and then you get the Big Ten games late in the season being played on Sundays. I am a big fan of that. Bryant did edge out Hobart 14-11. to A couple of big scorers in this game. Ryan Archer was 2-6 and six in the loss, and then Bennett Abladian goes 6-1. and one for Bryant in the win in terms of the goalie battle in this one. Not very good out overall for Hobart. And then uh, I can't even... Man, Bryant's got some of the most whacked out names in college lacrosse that I always have a hard time pronouncing. Luke Carasioli Sarasioli Carasioli 11 uh, goals against 9 saves. Neither goalie played very well. Uh, the face-off dot battle was pretty close here. So this just came down to being a hard-fought game that Bryant just simply outscored Hobart in. So that was that one. Jacksonville put the big hurt on St. John's in terms of Jacksonville scoring. Wallbomb, we'd like to watch Wallbomb and see what he's doing. He goes 5-2. and two. Ethan Lamont, 5-0 and o in the win for Jacksonville. The, the wheels absolutely came off for St. John's in that one. Mount St. Mary's and Sacred Heart. They play a one-goal game 14-13. Binghamton continues their winning winning ways. They go tw- uh, they win 12-8 over UMBC. That's a pretty big deal. As I said, Brown and UMass. That was one I wanted to talk about. UMass beats Brown. So UMass improves to 5 and 3, Brown drops to 5 and 3, but it was uh Kevin Tobin, 4 and 1, and then Gabriel Prosic, 3 and 1. Gabriel. Gabriel Prosic 3 and 1 for UMass here, and uh, they end up beating uh, the Ivy has done really well out of conference. So that was a big win right there for UMass in that game. Uh, Robert Morris and Drexel, they also played a one goal game. I'm just ripping through a couple before we call it quits here. Uh, Denver, that was one Denver and Towson. Uh, Jack Hanna ended up shooting the ball much better in this game. He goes for a sock trick, six goals, one helper, off 14 shots. So that's the kind of production that they need out of Jack Hanna, and they down Towson 12-9 to in this one. Ted Sullivan has five helpers, so a hell of a job for those guys, by those guys, and let's see. Oh, Carolina. I can't believe I had not talked about this yet. At one point, Carolina was losing Later, late into this game against Bellerman, and they ended up needing, I think it was an eight goal run. I think they outscored Bellerman eight to zip over the course of the fourth quarter, which would lead me to believe they were losing eight to seven and then ended up putting eight unanswered goals in the fourth quarter on Bellerman to win this game. Chris Gray goes five to three. I think Gray tied it up, gave him the lead and then gave him like a cushion goal or some crap like that. in this win, but man, Bellerman scaring Carolina, Carolina seven and two. And they've got some wins over some good teams, but they are very streaky, and sometimes they they have a hard time defensively. As we look at who their wins are over, Richmond, Colgate, Brown, Hopkins, Denver, High Point, and Bellarmine now with losses to Virginia and to Ohio State. They've got Duke, Virginia, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and Duke coming up to finish their season off. So just a brutal stretch here coming up for Carolina, but they do eke out the victory over... And apparently very scrappy Bellerman. I didn't watch. I didn't watch a lot of lacrosse yesterday. I got loaded at the bar, uh, loaded for me. You know, I mean, I wasn't like out of control or anything like that. I didn't shame myself in front of my children, but I was feeling pretty damn groovy after that Syracuse win. Drank a bunch of Blue Moons at the bar. Came home and ate some chicken wings. The Airport Inn in Binghamton. In, it's actually technically in Johnson City off Airport Road. The Airport Inn has some of the best chicken wings in all of the land. So I came home all drunked up and chowed down on some delicious hot honey barbecue chicken wings. It was incredible. So, all right, I'm going to stop rambling. I missed Thursday. I apologize for missing Thursday work got in the way. And what we're going to start doing for Thursday show, instead of just previewing games that are coming up, I'm actually going to talk about players, players, on Thursday, we'll talk about some players that had big games the week prior and what we think they'll do in the week coming up. I'm going to try to make it a little bit more player oriented and more, you know, covering specific things versus just ripping through and previewing games. Who the hell cares at this point? We all know who's playing who. It's it's absolute chaos here in Division 1 lacrosse right now, so it is tough to preview the games, and I think you'd rather probably just hear me talk about the players, player production the week before. Uh, we'll start doing some more Tawartin Watch crap and stuff like that. So I'm going to shut up here. I've been rambling for my 40 minutes. So uh, be sure to like, subscribe, all that crap. Share with your buddies and come back Thursday when we do what was the preview show. It's still going to be previewing games, but it'll be doing so more from a, a, a view of the players and things like that and player matchups and what we can expect to see out of guys. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. <laughs>